Hello, everybody. I'm Tommy Dees, Sports Director at the Tennessean here in Nashville with Adam Sparks, our Sterling Vanderbilt beat writer. And today we are breaking down the doors on this podcast. That's what the name of the podcast is. And we're going to talk some football, Adam. Sterling. I've been called much worse. I'll take that. Uh, You're not black and gold. (laughs) No, I'm not. You're impartial. So uh, let's let's jump right into this. Preseason camp, preseason practice, fall camp, preseason practice. That will will please our boss. That's right. They're not going to camp. They're not... They're not making macrame. They're not canoeing. They're not in a tent. No. Okay. Maybe they are in a tent. Who knows? That would be a good story. You need to find that. Okay. So uh, the biggest topic of preseason practice is uh, is the quarterbacks. Riley Neal, Ball State transfer, Deuce Wallace, the junior. No no incumbent here. That's right. That's the hottest topic, and so people want to talk about that, and we will talk about that. The two quarterbacks will not talk about that, and that was one of the bigger things that came out of the press conference today to kick off preseason practice, was that Derek Mason uh, said, which had already been hinted to us in the media, that the quarterbacks will be off limits, uh, is the way he put it. No that interviews. Means, that, that doesn't mean just you can't tackle them in practice, which is <laughs> well, normally also, the case. Yeah, it also means That's that. That's always yeah. the case. Yeah, it also means that. You're not, not going to hit them, and we're also not going to talk to them. Uh, maybe at practice I'll try to... Give a little head nod to Deuce Wallace. He's yeah. a nice guy. I know him. Yeah. Uh, a little hand know. signal or something. That's right. I don't know if that's off limits or not. The finger against the nose, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. Now, uh, you know, this would be a time where media members like us could panic a little bit, thinking instead what happened to Jarrett Garantano last year. The Tennessee quarterback was off limits for like half the season. A starting quarterback didn't talk, wasn't allowed to talk. That's not going to be the case here. But Derek Mason didn't really give a timetable of when the muzzle will be taken off, so to speak. He thinks he'll know his starting quarterback maybe in the first couple, three weeks of of practice, certainly before the opener. Uh, He is in the past at about two and a half weeks. Who knows if that'll stick or not. But I I think we're probably not going to interview these guys maybe until that point. He wants, or he, maybe until they play. That it's a possibility. I mean, his he explained it today at the press conference that he just doesn't want distractions. He wants these two guys to be focused on playing only. He doesn't. I'm going to read between the lines here. I think he doesn't want anything on Twitter, on social media. That's kind of breaking down every little, every little nugget of everything they say. So he wants them off limits, and and that's what it's going to be for a little while. We're going to have to make the best judge of of who's going to be the starter before that's named just based on what Derek Mason says, what offensive coordinator Jerry Godowski says, and for what portions of practice we can see, which, by the way, practice is also closed for the first weekend. Not a big deal. This happens sometimes. but uh, That means no viewing period whatsoever. That's right. No, none at all for the first three practices. Dude, stretching, jumping jacks. No nothing. stretching. And if I could tell the Side starting quarterback by, by jumping jacks, then, then I, I'm – well, I'm in the right I was business. Kind of counting on you for that. <laughs> that's right. So it's closed for the first weekend. By the way, that's you get actually. It, wait, no, if, do they? They don't practice on the actual field. I guess they scrimmage there, right? Yeah, they'll be on. They're on the practice field no. mostly. They're sometimes so in I'm the indoor if we facility. We got you a room in that hotel. That's right. We could. We you could get we, the binoculars out. We could have long something. range lens, and then I could chart uh, completions in in practice, which. Uh, will be, you know, that's one of those things that kind of irks me a little bit about this time of the year when, especially in a quarterback competition, when people start charting passes, and I mean media members, charting passes, and this guy 
This guy was a leading passer in practice today in seven-on-sevens, which means very little to anything. But we tend to overdo these things. You can judge arm strength. You can judge accuracy. You can judge some things, but that's not football. And I I, I realize in a scrimmage, the quarterback, as you say, is is off limits. They're not live. So sometimes you and I have both seen a quarterback who looks really good when he knows he's not going to get hit. And when he gets in a game and there's live action coming at him and it's a lot faster and the people are trying to hit him, doesn't translate. So, But when you're just talking about throwing pass skeletons, basically, there is nothing to judge there except what their physical arm talent is. And by the way, we asked Derek Mason about this and how are these guys going to be judged. He did make the point that he said, you know, these guys aren't going to get hit. So you're not going to be able to tell how they react to contact but one of them has been. One of them has a career. Yes. You've got, you've got a transfer who, while he hasn't played SEC-level football, he hasn't seen what Vanderbilt will see in its opener against Georgia. He's certainly been hit. Yes, and he's been hit in, I've said it many times, in Big Ten mm-hmm. stadiums. Yeah, uh, the true. Mac plays games in the Big Ten, non-conference, obviously, for them. But he's, I mean, uh, Mac has good quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And Riley Neal's thrown for 8,000-plus yards, started 32, I think, games in his career. He has he has played. So there's fewer questions about how he'll react under fire. Yes. We, it's, it's on film somewhere. We might not have that film, but... I'm sure the YouTube has it. And so, you know, Derek Mason said, as he said, everything will be scored. And that includes charting passes and those sort of things and how they handle the offense. But let me set up this clip. I want you to listen for the word believability because Derek Mason makes the pitch here that that's what he wants to see. Whatever believability means to him, that's what's going to determine the starting quarterback. Here's Derek Mason. It's not about hot end. It's about divided reps. It's about being able to have, you know, adequate reps, man, to be able to talk about production and leadership. Uh, you know, here's the thing. There, there's got to be a high level of, of, of believability because here's the thing. How much are we actually going to tackle in camp? You know, I mean, I, there, you got you got you got to base a lot of it on production, and then the rest of it is just on believability. You know, in terms of situational ball, how many times we put those guys, you know, in those situational. I mean, I, I'm, I mean, in those situations, whether it be scrimmages, whether it be just like uh, you know, like in the practice opportunities, in practice opportunities, and they know it's all going to be scored. Everything matters. Uh, I like it because it goes back to the mantra I've had since I've been here: everything we do matters. So. Uh, they're being watched. They understand you know, what it looks like, and that's part of playing quarterback in this conference, knowing at the end of the day everything you do is going to be watched, scrutinized, you know, picked apart, and, that, and, that, and that's a good thing to have that type of battle going on now because it's only going it, to get you know, bigger you know, once we get into the season. And, and I'm a little disappointed that he didn't talk strategery there. <laughs> Believability is a real it word. Really is. It really is. It's not a made-up word. Yeah, it, but it, it's not a one you. It's it's one you're more likely to hear at Vanderbilt from a Vanderbilt coach than probably an Alabama coach or a Texas coach or. Yeah, t- today at the press conference, uh, Derek Mason used nomenclature a oh. few times, and I said, "What are you doing using a word like nomenclature? I've got to go Google that now." Let me let me share you one of my favorite memories uh, from um, the back in the day when Sports Illustrated was Sports Illustrated. They had this thing called Scorecard. And they were just short little items that were interesting and funny or whatever in the world of sports. And when the NCAA put in the halo rule to protect the punt returner, they, they talked to the Harvard coach. 
and and he told his team about this that you have to give a one yard cushion the halo mm-hmm. when when a guy is receiving a punt and a guy in the back of the room raised his hand and said diameter or circumference. <laughs> That sounds like something that would happen in Vanderbilt. It would. Uh, you know, and the well, coach said, just give him a blank one-yard cushion. Well, when I asked, I even asked Derek after the presser, I said, what are you doing throwing nomenclature around? And he said, I didn't go to Vanderbilt, but I coach at Vanderbilt. There you go. And so, and you get that sometimes. It's funny with Vanderbilt athletes is that the coach has to realize that a lot of the student athletes in the room are smarter than he or she is. Mm-hmm. And... uh Sometimes you have to raise your level, uh, uh, raise your level of the language a little bit to communicate with these guys. But, and and uh, sometimes you probably have to puncture that intellectual bubble and just get in somebody's grill and and quit thinking about it and start doing it. You know, you don't want your pit bull doing arithmetic when you say attack. You know, it's funny you say that because I I had a conversation with Derek after the presser today a little bit about that topic and he said and he kind of said the same thing that sometimes you get the kids in here and i've heard this from other vandy coaches in the past too you get kids that are so smart it can be a, a disadvantage paralysis by yeah, analysis exactly and uh, you'll have some kids that will think well i'm smarter than this coach and you can't be smarter than your coach you can be you better not mm-hmm. think that way coach explain this to me coach um, why are you doing this? And you have a lot of second guessing. So sometimes you have to take that that pride down a little bit. Uh, it's it's great to have smart kids, uh, but you have to sometimes, if you as you say, puncture that because it can be. You you got to be simpler. Yeah, uh, and you, you you need to break it down to to simple action and 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 if you're intelligent enough to process the playbook and then to take it to where through repetition and through understanding of what you're supposed to do where you don't have that pause to think, that's where you want to get to. Keyshawn Vaughn is not analyzing holds. He's instinctively hitting them. Right. But he's probably analyzing them very quickly, just like any good running back. He sees something start to open and makes a you know a very quick, quicker than most people would decision that I'm cutting to the right, even though the play calls me to go up the hole on the left because I see what's happening here, and he processes that quickly. The the benefit of having really smart, thoughtful kids, young men, is that in terms of interviews, you sometimes can get more insightful answers than maybe you would get from some other players at other schools. Not not always, but sometimes. A good example today was Jared Pinckney, the tight end, will be in the NFL next year, will be a high draft pick. Um, he was asked about the quarterbacks and the quarterback competition, and he repeated a little bit and expounded a little bit on what he said at SEC Media Days a couple weeks ago, which was he said, we can't look at these two quarterbacks and think of Kyle Shermer. We can't compare these guys to Kyle Shermer. And it almost seemed like it was a message to the fan base and maybe even a little bit to the media that – you know, Kyle Shermer, all-time career passer at Vandy, was a starter for three and a half years. Tough guy, too. Yes, absolutely, uh, and uh, trying to make That's it. That's what I always liked about him. I mean, he seemed to not get ever rattled. To no, t- uh, uh, a chin of iron, so to speak, yeah. could take a hit, could stand and in then, the pocket. And then get up in the next play. If, and if he got sacked or he got hit after throwing it the next play, he didn't seem like it was – gun shy at all and also a guy that knew the offense so well they could run any tempo and just put the playbook in his hand and say you 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 can look at that defense and figure out what we need to do riley neal and deuce wallace will not be able to do that latter part riley neal has an arm similar to kyle Shermer. 
Deuce Wallace doesn't. Deuce Wallace is more mobile. You can't expect him to sit in the pocket with poise that Kyle Shermer had because that was a lot of starts that it took him to get to that point. So Pinckney's uh, you know, point was well taken is that we cannot look at these two guys and say, well, Kyle Shermer didn't do it that way, or Shermer used to do this. You've got to find the strengths that they have that maybe Shermer didn't have. And, you know, frankly, I don't I don't think it's fair to think either of these guys is going to be him. I think these guys have to just limit mistakes and get the ball out of their hand as quickly as possible. And you're in, in, a, in an offense that Vandy doesn't always have or hasn't always had where you've got – the quarterback's job is to get the ball into the hands of the playmakers. Yep. Vandy's got real playmakers. Yes, yes. And not just, well, we've got a running back, and we've got a receiver, and we've got a tight end. They've got the big three. They've got the big three of those. And this is something, I guess, I, you know, I touched on a little bit today at the press conference with Kalijah Lipscomb, the, the wideout, is that it's it's kind of beyond those three. To, you know, those three need to be highlighted. But yeah, And they've, they've proven themselves. Yes, yes. But just depth of the receiving core. Vandy hasn't had this. C.J. Bowler caught 30-plus balls last year as, I think, a redshirt freshman. I believe he, he showed up fairly well in the spring game. Yes, was that. he did. Yep. And so that's a guy you can count he on right there. who really caught my eye of the receivers. And, and what was good about him is as a, again, I think it was, he was a redshirt freshman last year. He wasn't a good game, bad game, good game. He he caught a ball, I think at least one or two balls in every game of the season. So he had consistency more than what a veteran would have. Cam Johnson, a local guy from Brentwood Academy, he was their best offensive signee a year ago. Uh, missed the season because he broke his ankle. He's back. Um, uh, there was a couple of younger guys that had that caught big balls in the Tennessee game. And the uh, uh, Amir is one of those that caught one in the Tennessee game, also in the bowl game. They've, they've, got, they've got other guys. And so... Again, the, the the quarterback doesn't have to be Kyle Shermer. He just has to be a guy that can get the ball to those guys and let them do what they do. As as you said, they can do it far better than what Vandy has had usually in the past. Right. So there have been, there have been times where if if the Vandy quarterback couldn't make plays on their own, you know that that Shermer was in that position earlier in his career. Where, yes. You know he didn't have outrageous skill position talent around him. You just get the ball out of your hands to the right guys in this Vandy offense. You should you should be considered a good quarterback if you distribute the ball to these these weapons. Yeah, a lot of times in Vandy's history, you've had quarterbacks that have tried to do too much, and that's easy to do against SEC defenses when you don't have skill when you don't have skill guys. You try to do too much. Shermer never did try to do too much. At least usually he didn't do that in his career. This next guy, same thing, and he's probably in an even better position because of these guys. The flip side of that is on the uh, on the defensive side. Yeah, because we've talked a lot about the big three. Yeah, and we're going to continue to talk about who's going to be the quarterback that that runs this thing. But Fanny's success is going to have a lot to do with the other side of the ball, or or lack their lack of success. I mean, that's going to be a big determining factor. And Vandy's kind of always been defense first. You know that that's where the talented guys were. Yeah, and you, the proven guy. You know, Derek Mason gave up defensive play calling duties to a new defensive coordinator last year, Jason Tarver. They were they struggled for about two thirds of the season. They had about a three four game stretch late in the year where they looked pretty good. Now they were, I think, third in the conference and turnovers forced forced twenty two turnovers. I mean, that's that really good takeaway numbers. They gave up way too many yards. They gave up moderate amount of points. 
Um, but they had some games where they just kind of collapsed, and a lot of it came down to tackling. And more specifically, a lot of it came down to the fact that they could not find inside linebackers. Coverage hurts somewhat in that, but mostly when you can't tackle and you can't stop the run, it's either your D-line or it's the guys up the middle. And for them, it was mostly the guys up the middle at inside linebacker. And Derek Mason has said this a little subtly a few times now. At SEC Media Days, he specifically said, we're going to have to be carried by our offensive line, defensive line. Those are obvious answers for any coach. And our inside linebackers. Today at the press conference, he said, we have to get good play from our inside linebackers. It's it's rare that you see a coach, especially Derek Mason, really pinpoint a position, put those on notice a little bit. But that's only, you know... He's that's not only, calling anybody out, but he's challenging somebody. Yes. He, you know, he's not saying calling them out after it doesn't work. But he's saying, you, 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 you guys need to step up. I'm expecting you to do this. For us to be good, you have to do this. And right? I, am, I, am I reading that right? And I think it's important to, to look at who those inside linebackers are because, you know, early in Mason's career, in his tenure, he was talking about guys. He didn't, he didn't talk about specific guys and positions that much because he was inheriting James Franklin's players. The guys he has now at inside linebacker, Dimitri Moore, who, by the way, had like 87 tackles last year as a redshirt freshman, a very productive guy, but needs to take another step. Uh, Braden DeVault-Smith, that's a local guy from Pearl Cone. Um, Filetti is another guy they have. Colin Anderson started uh, early on last year until he got hurt. Those are all sophomores, redshirt sophomores, third-year guys. So those are all Derek Mason recruits guys that Derek Mason pinpointed and said, this is the type of guys I want to build my defense around. They came in around the time that Zach Cunningham headed off as a high-round draft pick to the Houston Texans where he said, this is my next Zach Cunningham. He pinpointed these guys with that in mind. Well, now two, three years later, they, they've got to kind of take that step to become those next guys. Inside linebackers in that 3-4 defense matters so much, and they just didn't get that last year, and that's why he's, that's why he's honing in on it uh, going into this uh, preseason practice. Yeah, and, and the, the, what you're telling me, I think, is a key indicator as you look at Vandy's gauntlet of the first three games, um, the, the easiest on paper of which is at Purdue, which was very good last year, and on the road in that environment, is, is if we see safeties making a lot of tackles, that's not a good sign. Yeah, and in those that first, means they're getting past those linebackers. And within those first three games, so Georgia, Purdue, LSU, Georgia and LSU, and you've covered the SEC a whole lot longer than I have. If Georgia, Georgia and LSU both are at home for Vanderbilt, if they come in and feel like they can run the ball, they won't throw it. They don't. They don't care to throw well, it. Well, no, you you haven't been paying attention, Adam, because. LSU for the 18th straight year is going to open up their offense and run the spread. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Orsron's not going to button it down and give it to the big back and and bang on Vanderbilt. They're going to spread them out. Yeah, (laughs) Tongue firmly planted in cheek on that one. Well, that's what he said. That's what he said the year before that and the year before that. And then that's what Les Miles said and on and on and on. So we'll see. But that's what they claim. Yeah, I tend but. to I tend to think if they come in uh, come into Nashville and they get six to eight yards of carry all through the first quarter, I don't I don't see the ball going in the air any. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the same for Georgia. And Georgia can do that even better than yeah, LSU. Yeah, Georgia will come in intent to do that more even than LSU. That that they will run a, run a pro style play action pass offense. From will certainly throw it out of the play action, but. 
if you don't stop the run, they won't have to play action. Right, and it's and I think even and in the more SEC. If you don't stop the run, you're not winning many games. And early in the season, I think there's even messages more so, especially with the Georgia game, where you want to establish we are a physical team. You want to tell yourself, your players, we are a very physical team, and there's nothing that can get that message through more than rushing for 250, 300 yards in your opener on the road. Right, right. And Derek Mason knows that, and he knows if his inside linebackers tackle like they did last year and they can't stand up to the run, which is how they struggled last year, they're not going to get out of those first three games with any optimism. Right. So so we kind of are looking at, at today at, at two big positions, quarterback and inside linebacker, and, and I, I – Heard it said by I hate to invoke this name, but Nick Saban and Urban Meyer were on a, a call before they a conference call before they played in the college football playoffs in 2014, I think. And both of them made the same point, looking at the other that this, these teams were built from the inside out. You know, the closer you were to the where the ball was when the ball was snapped, which is offensive line, defensive line, and right up the middle, quarterback and and linebacker. Good football teams are built from the inside out. So how well Vandy, how good a football team Vandy is, even with the flashy big three, will come down a lot to these these positions. Yeah, see, it shows I'm still, my head is still in baseball season in Omaha because I'm thinking up the middle. Yeah. Catcher, middle infield, center field, right? Yeah, exactly. If you're good up the middle, you're good. If 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 either of these quarterbacks is as good as Kumar Rocker, they will forget about Kyle Schumer. <laughs> well, why not Kumar Rocker just come out? I, he and, could be an inside linebacker. I, I, or, or a quarterback, <laughs> or either quarterback one. Or a quarterback or a defensive tackle. Um, what was that with uh, Jared Lorenzen? Um, do you remember the story when he first – who was the coach? Boy, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Was it Hal Mummy then? Hal Mummy yep. when, when Jared Lorenzen came to visit Kentucky like on an unofficial visit – and he found Mummy like looking at film, and, and he walked in. This was the story Mummy told. Said, "I want to play quarterback for you." And he turned around, and then he saw the guy. He said, "You can play defensive tackle for me." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think Kumar can play whatever he wants, and I think he wants to play baseball. When I was in high school, I'll end it on this story. I, I was, hope my Detroit Tigers are still picking first in a couple of years <laughs> when he comes out. When I was in high school, I played quarterback, but I was a Jared Lorenzen, Freddie Kitchens. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not seeing this at all. Oh no, I was a, I was a chubby quarterback. Yeah, really? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if I covered Fred Kitchens, I've got some good Fred Kitchens stories. Okay. You well, want to hear a good Fred Kitchens story? Well, let me say this first. The, so I was I was an overweight quarterback, and anytime I would have a good practice, which was seldom, but if I had a good practice throwing the ball, my coach would come up and say, "Sparks ate his cornflakes today," and what, <laughs> what that meant was that he didn't eat cheeseburgers or whatever. Right. And so give me the Freddie Kitchen. Okay, story. well, I was interviewing Freddie. I was covering Alabama. This is 2000. I'd have to look it up what year. Um, maybe it's late 1990s. And Alabama had just lost to either Central Florida or Louisiana Tech, some terrible team. Alabama's on the way to a losing season. But at this point, if they win their remaining conference games and the tiebreakers fall right, they could go to the SEC championship game and still be SEC champions. But they're in a shambles. It right. wasn't just one lone loss. They're, they're in a bad patch. And Fred Kitchens is the quarterback, and Sean Alexander is the running back. And, and we're interviewing them like in this lobby of the uh, – what had, had couches and everything of the student um, um, dorm, right. the athletic dorm at that time. This is where you did your interviews before they ate lunch. And I'm talking to Fred Kitchens – 
and we're talking about whatever. And Sean's like like over on the other side of the couch or in a chair next to us, and he's talking, and you can hear him. And he's got all the reporters around him because he's Sean Alexander. And he's talking about like the Monday after they just get beat by this team that they shouldn't lose to. How they're, we, we got all our goals in front of us. We can win the SEC championship. You know, I don't know why he's right. And, and Fred Kitchens looks at me, he says, Excuse me. And he turns around and says, Hey, Sean, how about we win an expletive game first? <laughs> no, how about we just win an expletive game? <laughs> And Sean didn't say another word. <laughs> he just shut up about winning SEC championships. They did not go on to win the SEC no, championship that year. But the quarterback brought him down to earth. Yes. That well, was, that's what leadership is. And that's why I think as the people in Cleveland are going to really like Fred Kitchens because okay. he's, he's that kind of guy. He, there's an accountability factor. And we'll see if Vanderbilt develops a quarterback with the same kind of leadership and, and accountability skills. So we'll do this again, this podcast again, about a week from now. By then, I still don't think we'll know who the quarterback is, perhaps the one after that, but we'll have a whole lot of other things to talk about next week. Okay, well, um, we encourage you to subscribe online to thetennessean.com, where you can follow Adam Sparks' Vanderbilt coverage and uh, continue listening to Breaking Down the Doors. <laughs> <laughs>